This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. No one sent me a spreadsheet, uh, so I'm just going to go to Iron Mike Spears joining us. What's up, Mike? I mean, I have to go back and re-listen to all those things if I'm going to put together any sort of a spreadsheet. <laughs> hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. You know, I'm doing pretty well. You know, we had a tropical storm roll through here, and... Got a lot of rain, but I'm doing all right. I'm, I, f- I feel invigorated after last night's show. I'm really feeling the energy of one Mickey Gooch Jr. And that gets me ready to get through today's show. Uh, how are you doing, AB? You know, I'm doing fine. I'm uh, now really worried about who I go to first on any given thing on this show. A uh, lot of uh, anxiety has been mainlined into my veins. And uh, so, yeah, that's basically it. Speaking of, Nate's here, aka Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Speaking of what exactly? Speaking of mainlining anxiety? No, speaking, I mean, I don't know if you mainline anxiety, but speaking of, you know, different orders, now you're second. I don't know how anybody feels, but I try uh, not to uh, mainline anxiety. Um, tried to kick that habit. Eating a banana. Uh, it's pretty warm, a little too warm for my tastes. Really about it. Over here in the Nate department. All right. I guess, you know, I just, uh, I think about podcasts that I like, right? That have more than one person. And uh, the starters, for example, I don't know what they're called now. No dunks. No dunks. That's right. I haven't listened in a while since there's no basketball. But, you know, you got your skeets. And your skeets always goes to Tass first. Then you get your... Uh, usually Lee and then Trey is kind of how it breaks down. That sounds about right. Seems like a, a, a clock wise oh, orientation. Could be. Because Trey's usually standing at the desk. I'm imagining the TV set now. That's true. That's true. I just assume it's by seniority. Right. Okay. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway. Yeah. I, th- I think... Lee might have joined after Trey, but I don't. I don't actually know specifically recall. Yeah. Anyway, you know. You think uh, you know, Trey? No, I also have not been been watching. Uh, Trey followed our account. No interactions. He, no. Do, do we think he's watching AEW? Because they made a lot of WWE references. I I've never listened to the show, but I, I have to believe that he watches. I think he did mention Orange Cassidy at some point. That sounds right. Okay. So, you know, he, he's at least familiar. I don't know if he... Uh, yeah, you know, not doesn't uh, doesn't follow all the accounts. We just happened to add him, and he threw us a follow pretty much right away. He's but still no, following. I just checked. Yeah, no, no faves. No uh, no indication otherwise. I'd like to talk to him about Susie's Pizza in Plano, Illinois, um, but no opportunity thus far. <laughs> now I'm looking at uh, who Trey follows. Yeah. Uh, 
some funny ones in here. Braden Stroud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's someone. Uh also he's he's a he's an F1 guy. I, I learned. Oh, that's right. You got he's on your your F1 podcast or whatever. He plugged the F1 podcast you guys like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's buddies with them, I guess. But anyway. So there you go. Uh that's a little conversation about Trey Kirby to start this AW podcast. <laughs> Former Turner employee. That's right. Sorry, Trey, if you're listening, bringing up bad memories. But I mean, he probably they probably don't want to plug AEW. They're probably, you know, the Turner thing. Probably irritating. Bad blood. Or yeah. just better blood, maybe. Well, if you want to follow us like Trey Kirby, you can find us at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Heya. You can subscribe to the podcast. Please do. Give us a rating and review if you're using the Apple Podcast app. And you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash everything elite for more content from me and Mike and Nate. Lots of good stuff on there. We'll talk about, we'll talk later about what's going to be on there coming up soon. Today on the show, we're going to play Elite or Delete. We're going to run down Dynamite from last night. We'll talk about the ratings. And I feel confident we will talk a little bit about Double or Nothing as we go through what happened on Dynamite. If you want our full Double or Nothing review, we did an instant reaction show with Murder Brian, Brian Quimby of Street Fight Radio. And that is available on patreon.com slash everything elite for all five and eight dollar subscribers. But first, let's start with Elite or Delete. Delete! Elite! Delete! Elite! I don't know. I, I have just traditionally started with Nate here. I'm just, I'm going to stick with it. Um, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's what I'm going to do. So Nate, give us your elite pick of the week. All right. My elite pick. Um, you know, I thought this was kind of an unusual show in that basically I had a lot of gripes. And I had a lot of stuff that I didn't think landed or was executed very well, but I still came away from the show, uh, you know, a little more energized about the direction of the promotion. Uh, but for my elite pick, I'm going to pick, I think, the one thing that did fulfill its complete potential, you know, executed to the fullest extent possible in terms of what they were trying to accomplish with the segment and what they actually did accomplish with the segment. Uh, and that's the... Brian Cage versus Lee Johnson match with John Moxley on commentary. Taz commentating. Or I'm sorry, Taz managing. Uh, yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, I'm very high on the Brian Cage and Taz partnership. Uh, I think it would be great if Brian Cage just never left his feet again and just threw suplexes all day long, especially to job guys, and just tossed them all over the ring. That would be tremendous. This promotion is just overflowing with hosses now, and uh, Brian Cage is an exciting one. Um, you know, maybe he can bust out, you know, his flippy doos or whatever on a, an occasional pay-per-view, but I would just like to see him throwing job guys around um, really until the audiences forced them to do something different. And uh, yeah, you know, escalated the upcoming match with John Moxie pretty well. I thought John Moxie was good on commentary. His, you know, personality shines through. You get some of his humor and charisma um, and it, you know, doesn't feel as forced or manufactured as it might in a uh you know uh, a discreet promo so yeah good segment yeah and 
I think we have to come to terms with the fact that AEW now is a body guy promotion. Like, someone call Ethan Page as played by Julian that his body guy extravaganza has been usurped now because we have Cage, we had Wardlow. We Mickey just, Gooch. Mickey Gooch is the biggest body guy of them all. I mean, what can we say there? And it, it, It's something that Cage was someone that I remember in January we were talking a little bit about like he, he was free and clear and everyone was like, oh, looks like he's going to AEW. And it turned out he was going to AEW. I was a little bit, a little bit of reticence about it just because how he kind of, in a certain way, just was getting such to like an extent that it wasn't as interesting and like this. However, having him very focused and focused in on throwing people around, having Taz in there doing a really solid job of being his coach manager, whatever they're going to decide to call him. I feel like it's a good complete package and especially for how they're going to build this up. I mean, eventually like it, I think interesting stories can be told about like Mox's uh, Tyler reign is that whereas Jericho had like the Jericho reign of going to like Cody Darby Allen, uh, Scorpio sky, the little mini feud of jungle boy and finally ending on Moxley, like there was a lot of different like levels to it. And now we see that like Moxley is doing like this like monster run. And I find that kind of interesting because that's not how I was going to expect this thing to go for Moxley. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, we've already had him go against Hager. We he's coming off his one against Roy Lee and his idea that this guy somehow is able to survive everyone. And I felt like that the squash here, especially if Lee Johnson, he's been the MVP of all the uh the jobber guys, local talent, the up-and-comers have been around here. I felt like that Lee Johnson looked great here, just like how Lee Johnson looked great when he faced Wardlow. So I think that this was a this was a full score, 100 across all categories for this segment. Yeah, I do think on the topic of Moxley's title reign, something that has proven to be true or appears to be true is Tony likes to book things and angles and stories that have been successful in the past in pro wrestling. So just doing a monster of the month or a monster of the quarter kind of story for your champion, you know, it's like prototypical Hulk Hogan, John Cena stuff. So, uh, you know, it should work. I hadn't thought that about the the Jericho title run. I guess this isn't timely, but he didn't beat anybody of consequence clean. Huh. Like yeah, even Hogan. Scorpio. Yeah. Yeah. Right. His, his biggest his his biggest cleanest victory was Robbie Omega on the first show. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably true. But I mean, which that they did it the right way. I mean, he was never booked as like a guy who could beat everybody. He was booked as a, a chicken shit heel. Right. And so they, they went about it the right way. It's just, it's interesting now. I hadn't thought about it to look back and realize how good a job they did with that uh, title reign. I might've gone longer with it, but they did a good job with it. So it's interesting to see. What happens with Moxley? I agree about uh, the cage match and keeping him grounded and just letting him focus on one specific thing. There's plenty of guys in this promotion who can fly. Uh, he doesn't have to. And it's not interesting anymore that big guys can do flips. Like we've, we've seen plenty of that. Uh, so it, it's more interesting in this promotion. It's more interesting for him to be a big muscly guy who can just beat the shit out of people. And it's more effective if you're using these flips sparingly like i think wardlow did his top rope sent on once in the cage match and that's it we haven't seen it from from him since if brian cage is going to do something like incredibly like agility specific save it for the bigger matches he should just be throwing everyone around until he faces moxley and maybe that's where he has to kick into the next gear 
So I think they've done real effective. I I think it's real effective how they've decided to go like, all right, big guys, you're big. Focus on being big. So I mean, like I mean, Trent was big now last year or two years ago. Now we need to focus on all these guys who are big now, right now. All right, Mike. Does that play into your elite pick, or are you going to take us a different way? I mean, for me this week, and even into today, nothing has as amused me more than the group of people that Mike Tyson had with him at the end angle, like the whole entire end segment. I know that some people were like, oh, this looks really hacky. I thought it was really amusing. You had another great uh, inner circle angle where they like are just – Bigging each other up. You can buy your t-shirts on PWTs.com. They've marked it for half off, which is hilarious to me that the dead stock Super Bowl loser t-shirts are that way. We had an instance of chopped cheese, which Excalibur went your on national TV. That's tremendous. We've had the God himself, Mark Antony, being referenced here. And then we had this really just ridiculous and just ridiculous in the right ways. Like I know I say the word ridiculous a lot here, but Chris Jericho being so pissed off about a dumb thing that happened in the guest GM era of Monday Night Raw, calling out Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson comes out and he has a Henry Cejudo who just is just looks like a complete like he's just like hopping around everywhere and he's just like really mad. Uh Rashad Evans, Vito Belfort somehow, of all people, is the person who's really overshadowed because who became kind of the online star of the segment is one Mickey Gooch Jr. The guy who came out with like eye black with like what I guess is the Tyson Ranch t-shirt, was it? Or like it's like a Mike Tyson related t-shirt on with water poured all down it. Oat said that it (laughs) appears to be a Tyson Ranch t-shirt, but upon further inspection, he appears to have made it himself using the same substance that he used to paint his eye black. Fantastic. And and then somehow they... Just just insane to have that guy like so prominently front and center (laughs) among that group of people. Like he's... Right, Vito Belfort of all people. (laughs) Like that's the thing. You have this random guy who's an actor who his dad's like some weird businessman who's managed to get his way in here because he's done movies with Chris Jericho and is a friend of Mike Tyson. And he he just draws your eye and it's so ridiculous. And you have the insane pull apart. And as everything, like everyone who's been like nacing the segment... This has gotten them like the mainstream coverage that you don't necessarily see with pro wrestling. And then when other companies have tried in the past, it's fallen flat. There's a reason why this is like this is so successful. And and I mean, we've talked about the ups and downs about having Mike Tyson around. There's a this is why you have someone like this around. Like like you deal with like all the trappings of Mike Tyson because he is going to still get the interest here. And now we have the idea of, are we going to have like some some weird Chris Jericho versus Mike Tyson boxing match or something? Like there's a lot of wild ways to go. Are we going to get Mike Tyson and Mickey Gooch Jr. versus Jericho and Sammy Guevara? Are we going to get like a full on, like, is this what the new Blaine Guts match is going to be? Tyson squad versus Inner Circle? There's a lot of ways to go with this. And I just come out of like last night's go home segment. I like the final segment as like, this is one of the more bizarre things I think this company has done but it's incredibly entertaining and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. I I don't know that it was as effective, like in the moment as they wanted it to be like the pull apart between Jericho and Tyson. I'm not sure that had a ton of heat uh, the way it went. I mean, Tyson clearly was just like doing whatever the fuck he wanted and Jericho's trying to make the best of it, you know, and it was funny. I'm not sure if it, I think Nate, I I believe you said this earlier in a chat, but it's like, you can't recreate Austin and Tyson because Austin was, one of the biggest stars 
in the fucking world when they when they shot that. And Tyson was a huge star too. So I'm not sure you're ever going to have however many millions of people watch that. And, oh, of course not. Of course right. not. So it's just, it's not going to work. So I don't know. It probably went as well as it could if there's going to be a match. Like I really wanted Tyson to hit Jericho. Right. But but if they're going to get physical later, then, then that's fine for me. I do want to say, I think I was flippant a few episodes ago when we first talked about Tyson. Like I... If people are uncomfortable about Tyson, I understand that, and I don't have any problem with it. Like I, oh sure, completely get it. Uh, my personal opinion is that he was convicted of a crime, served time in prison, has been contrite about it since, uh, after saying some really fucked up stuff when he was first convicted, and has uh, been remorseful since then. And I think someone shouldn't just be thrown away forever uh, because of a thing that they did. So, but I, I just wanted to be clear that I, I don't think it's insane to be like, fuck this, I don't want to watch this if Tyson's on it. Uh, but if he's going to be here, uh, I don't have a problem with it. And I, it seems to me they've got Tyson signed to like be around for a little while and do something. So it's, it's intriguing. Whatever's coming next. Yeah. And like the only depressing thing about this is this was the show that was supposed to be from the MGM grand right after double or nothing. Like imagine what could have happened like in Vegas of all places if this was happening. Like, that's like the one thing that I come away from is like this is you could tell this is a moment that they've had in their back pocket for a while and this was the plan and it does seem like Tyson's going to be around I mean I don't know if it's going to be a fighter fest thing or I don't know if it's something that's like hey we're going to see if we can do this until all out because it's going to be interesting to see how this can go yeah I will I, I certainly second that the entourage was a highlight uh in a lot of ways just the weird cavalcade of characters you had out there uh kind of salvaged the segment I think um, you know, just because <laughs> it was a pretty good, I mean, it started off with just straight comedy, pure comedy segment from the inner circle. And you have Tyson coming out who, as I discussed on the, you know, instant reaction show is like not really an imposing presence anymore. Like he's kind of, uh, you know, he's an older, awkward kind of guy now who, uh, you know, is caught yawning at ringside when they put the camera on him and stuff. Like he's not like a menacing or intimidating presence you know be kind of like you look at the the backstage footage from double or nothing last year and he's like just giggling to michael nakazawa's oil spot like that's my perception of mike tyson now not like the killer mike tyson from however many years ago so the entourage having those other legit guys out there cejudo and evans and belfort like kind of just made it so weird that it was impossibly to be bad like it was just so weird and insane and uh unpredictable that it you know it has to be considered a success in that regard and you know it's got i think 1.3 million views on youtube now so it's certainly been a success as far as getting some attention and getting some headlines and stuff um but i yeah i'm kind of two of two minds about it because that's all good tyson is proving that he has some value uh you know in attracting viewers to this show and attracting viewers to the pay-per-view um but it was just like so goofy and it was following up a goofy segment from Chris Jericho. It was building on a extremely goofy raw segment from 10 years ago with Hornswoggle era degeneration X. Um, and then, you know, Tyson's out there. It's like kind of being naturally goofy and having trouble ripping his shirt and stuff and all this stuff. So it is like, that's all fun and I enjoyed it, but it is kind of, you know, kind of a little bit sour that it's like, Oh, we're never really going to see, a super hot crowd go crazy to see two guys go nose to nose. Cause they're perceived as being the toughest sons of bitches on the planet or whatever. Like 
I do kind of just miss that. And that, you know, we're just not going to get that. Yeah. And I think that's a fair assumption that like we are now 22 years after that. And with everything that like, without getting like the greater conversation about like Mike Tyson rehabilitation, at least in the popular culture, he's thoroughly away from being the most dangerous man on earth. Like this is not iron Mike Tyson, the the first round knockout King, that, that young knockout kid, the real one that this is not who he is now. And you have Chris Jericho, who, I mean, I find Chris Jericho a very interesting character because he does play like this, just boisterous heel. Like he's, he's a complete goof. He's, he's like, uh, he, he's straight out a confederacy of dunces kind of character. And with Mike Tyson, like you, you, I think that almost your expectation now is it has to be somewhat goofy. So like him not being able to rip off his shirt and them just kind of go like this. And the fact that neither of them got at each other and just was, you had the weirdness of like Vito Belfort. It's still something I'm wrapping my head around that Vito Belfort, the pride legend, the guy that, that had like the highest ever testosterone uh, test ever. And like UFC is doing this. And I think like, that's, that's how it's good because you're not going to get what you, what y'all have been talking about from like 1998 Austin versus with Tyson and Michaels in the background, like you're just not going to. So I feel like this is the best use of it. I mean, frankly, if we look at how the inner circle has been played over the past few months, I mean, this is supposed to be goofy, right? We're not supposed to look at this as like, Oh God, uh, who can win? Who, who's the batter guy between Chris Jericho and Mike Tyson? Like, I think we're supposed to be having fun with it. Yeah, I think so. It's just, you know. it, it's a different thing. I mean, it, consider that it, it is built on what you talked about, Nate, on a, <laughs> a on a thing that involved fucking hornswoggle, you know? Like, now, I don't I don't mind that. I, I like that AEW acknowledges that oh. it's part of a broader landscape of pro wrestling. Yeah, I, that's, acknowledging that continuity is like a huge, you know, plus in the, in favor of AEW that they, you know, acknowledge other promotions exist and makes it seem like there's some sort of shared reality to pro wrestling. Um, but you know, it's like Chris Jericho is really mad about that. Like, I'm sure if you watch that raw back, it would be absolutely cringeworthy and terrible. Um, so it just kind of, I don't know, just weird. I saw just like a 20 second clip or something that was floating around on, on Twitter of it. I think from Lion Ratten, I think was the one who <laughs> tweeted it. And uh it was funny because Tyson tried to rip his shirt off and couldn't and he had to just take it off. <laughs> I was so. like, oh, it's actually a callback. He didn't fuck up. <laughs> he just right. the callback. Yeah, we it's did a great storytelling. <laughs> yeah, we were joking and uh Mike tweeted about, you know, they should do Jaredism with Chris Jericho and have him you know, he should put on boxing gloves and be like, oh, you know, do the Conor McGregor thing. Oh, I'm a better boxer, actually. Like, I can outbox this guy, too, even though I'm, you know, primarily a pro wrestler. And they should specifically have him want to get revenge on Hornswoggle, too. Yes. Honestly, oh, Hornswoggle, absolutely. Hornswoggle's available. Just do, do Jericho versus Hornswoggle in a boxing match and have Jericho destroy him for heel heat. I think that's a tremendous piece of business. There's a lot of miles that you can get out of this. And especially it's a good idea that Jericho is kind of like you're turning Jericho towards this, especially right now. Like you've had that run. And the idea that the inner circle have never been super serious heels other than like they will take you out. There's always been this underlining vein of comedy throughout all of them that I think that they aren't just like ruining people or abandoning like their roots this is who they've been pretty much ever since like the thanksgiving promo where they were the first time that that santana and ortiz brought people vicar up Va vix vapor up like this is a part of their character so 
Jericho has to go all out here. We have to see him do punching the speed bag. We have to see him fight some cans. Swoggle would be a great person to do this. That just like gets like this. I, I think that eventually you have to reenact the uh, Buster Douglas fight somehow. I think like there's some way you should do this. Like after like this, all this happens, he gets like knocked out suddenly and they build it from the Tokyo Dome. Like there's ways you can do this. I think could be really funny. I mean, Jericho is funny and the other guys are funny. I don't know that they want to be like a top group of clown heels though, right? Like they did, I'm thinking of the spike angle with Moxley, which they played seriously. It was like, no, I'm going to fuck you up. I'm going to stab you in the eye and you're going to wear an eye patch now. Like it would be nice to keep that in the back pocket and be like, okay, you know, but we are going to try and pretend this is serious pro wrestling a little bit, right? That's all I'm saying. Oh, oh, no, I think that's fair. But I think that they always have that edge. I mean, they took out Nick Jackson. They made a big deal about all those things right there. So I, I think that you can't completely say all the stuff is ruining people because this is what they've been doing all along. No, and didn't say that. Yeah, I mean, they did the, what was it? The New Year's? Was it the New Year's thing? Or Christmas? Uh, uh, it was in Chicago. Thanksgiving. It was in the Thanksgiving, yeah. With Ted so Irving there. So I think they've done a good job of going back and forth. They can be goofy, but they can be serious when it's necessary. And that's largely been related to if Jericho has like a high level, serious feud going on, right? If he's feuding over the title with Cody, then that's going to be serious or with Moxley, but he's not really needed in that role right now uh, because they've taken the title off him and they've got honestly a bunch of, a bunch of stars <laughs> right now in AW. So he can kind of do this and, and entertain people. And I think this draws eyeballs, not just the Tyson stuff, but I think enough of this Jericho stuff can uh, get people to watch and, and discover other things. So I, I just, I don't think Nate said this, but I, I reject the idea that they're getting too silly, that it's going to ruin everybody in the inner circle or whatever. Uh, I'm not concerned about that at all. Uh, I would, I don't think it would ruin it, but I would prefer to occasionally see them be serious, like you said. Uh, yeah. But at this point, I'm enjoying the the balance. My favorite thing from the show, my elite pick uh one where I, I think this might be my biggest difference from basically everything i've seen that people have said about the show i truly loved the revival or ftr debut it's going to take me a while to not call them the revival probably but i thought it was excellent once they got out of the truck the truck thing is very stupid and they should stop <laughs> doing that at daily's place it's please. a fantastic truck i don't mind the truck i just don't like the trope but the it wouldn't be a trope except Cody just stole their big entrance like two weeks yeah, prior, which nice. is so strange. Cody, Ace, th th that's real Ace energy right there. <laughs> that's real executive vice president privilege. Yes. It's like we're going to have these guys debut. And I, I mean, I'm just assuming the revival idea came first because it doesn't make sense to me to run that angle back when nobody liked it the first time. So unless yeah. you were already, I don't know. Anyway, go on. So they come out. And it, at first, it's like, oh, this is just kind of vaguely exciting. It's like you weren't necessarily expecting it. Enough time had passed that you're like, oh, yeah, I wonder when those guys will show up or whatever. But that's cool. They've, I like the look. I heard people talking about it being too simple. I like the look that they came out with. But the most important part to me is everyone's expecting you, you jump things off with the Young Bucks versus the Revival. That's the big story everybody's waiting on. And immediately, they start teasing the, okay, are they going to attack the Bucks? Are they going to attack... The other team that was in the ring that I can't remember right now. It was the motherfucking Butcher, Butcher and the Blade. Yeah, you're right. Butcher the Blade. I'm sorry. So 
they don't. They attack the butcher of the blade, but then they don't like make friends immediately with the young bucks. They they give us a little bit of something there to chew on, to think about, and something that can build over many months before they do the bucks versus the revival. So I thought it was a great way to play against expectations and get us interested in seeing what's coming next, rather than knowing the steps that they're going to take to get to that. Yeah, I uh, I liked the concept or the premise of it, right? So this is my, my thing with this show is I thought there was a lot of stuff that just didn't live up to its full potential. And this is kind of the same way. Just the execution, whatever. It was just a little bit too awkward. Them, them throwing their moves on the butcher and doing stuff just looked a little bit out of step. You know, everybody was a half step off where it just kind of dimmed to me what could have been super hot. But yeah, um, and the... I, I didn't. The, it was cute. They did the denim thing, which the best friends also did at the Double or Nothing press conference last year, because it was Scott Hall Day, and that's when you show up at a new promotion wearing all denim, uh, which is cute and fun. Except that somebody had already done it in this promotion, and two, yeah, it just looked very basic and not. You know, obviously their gimmick is like no frills. We just fight. We're not here to wear ridiculous costumes and shit. But there's something more distinctive than just wearing Canadian tuxedos, kind of. Um, but yeah, I like the concept and the idea, especially cause you couldn't get the giant pop by debuting them in front of a crowd here. If you can hold off on the young bucks match until you can get fr in front of a big crowd, that's going to appreciate it. I think that's better. So if you're going to have the revival, uh, or fuck the rest run through the butcher and the blade and these other people, uh, then I'm great with that. Yeah. I, I really like the idea of how they've laid out the future for the tag team division with this, because really you have something now to keep the FTR busy up until I guess all out. I'm just, I'm going to keep on saying all out, all out. Cause that's where we're building towards next. And they could have this motherfucking butcher and the motherfucking blade match happen at fighter fest. And, and you get mileage there and you could bring that together. As Nate said, in front of a bigger crowd, I think like the big vibe I got from this. And I mean, I'm someone that I think that they are generally fine. I, I, and almost all the feuds that they had that are so lauded, I usually, I'm a bigger fan of the other tag teams in those feuds. So that's whatever. I'm excited to see what could happen with this. But it's something where I think it's so true to who they are as characters, the fact that they did kind of come in like how a new tag team enters a territory. It's not like the huge, like, Ponk and Circus Dance. They come in, they they help the local big face tag team out. They get them out of the jam. They're like, give them up. They're eyeing each other down. I feel like that that's like a nice touch. The thing that I kind of came out of this week thinking, and this is something that I wasn't going to expect that they were going to be in this kind of position to be in right now, is they've put the, together a sneaky, really interesting tag team division over the last like six weeks. They've really kind of put it together. We have some we have some like delineations between who are the top tag teams who are like the, the ones on the ascent we have the jobber tag teams. We have like the younger tag teams. And I mean, just like looking at how the shows have been for like the last few weeks, we're starting to see a whole lot. And it's even with, with uh, Lucha brothers being on the shelf because of, uh, because of Penta El Cero, I'm not being able to come over. So like, there's a lot of things here that I find really interesting. And I think that having FTR in this division opens up a whole lot of different things. I mean, when you get beyond the box, I mean, I wonder what a best friends versus FTR match would be. 
I wonder what a private party versus FTR match would be. So I think it's a real interesting addition. It's one that wasn't necessarily high on initially, but the more I think about it, the more I like how this really gives them a lot of toys to play with. All right, well, let's talk about the stuff that we did not like. Nate, what is your delete pick of the week? All right, my delete pick, I was tweeting about this. Just I would call them uh, little quality control errors or issues or, you know, uh, continuity issues or plot holes that just little things that become, you know, a little annoying voice in the back of your head. And this show just seemed like it had more of them than usual. Um, this began on dark, but Allie now suddenly is uh, normal and uh, flirting with QT Marshall or whatever. This absolutely could be just a uh, build to her, you know, betraying him and, and selling him out to the butcher and the blade or whatever. And this is a longer angle building to a feud there or something, but uh, no explanation of it really. No mention of it on commentary. The commentary does not point out, oh, that's Allie, the bunny. Um, you know, I wonder why she's not with the butcher and the blade. They seem to have just like ignored that. Uh, she's not at ringside with the butcher and the blade uh, and just no explanation for that. Um, they did a number one contender tag match on this show to set up the next tag team title challengers when they just did one on the buy-in on the pay-per-view. Uh, and now that's for fighter fest apparently. And this other tag team gets a, uh, intervening tag title shot, which just doesn't make sense. If you're doing a, uh, sports based wins and losses promotion, like, you know, the, you don't have one guy challenge, and then uh, an interceding challenger challenges just because they won a match more recently. Um, I mean, you know, maybe you could, but just it begs the question, and I would rather not have the question be begged. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, little sort of the premise of, like, the championship T-shirts for the inner circle is, like, a funny premise. It's like, oh, we got these shirts printed up because we assumed we were going to win. You can tie that into the pep rally they did. Be like, oh, we had already scheduled the pep rally for this show because we thought we were going to win. That's why we had these t-shirts printed up. And then that all comes together and it, you know, just makes a little bit more sense. Uh, and it's also like, you know, maybe they invite Mike Tyson to the party and that's why he's there instead of just being like, hey, we know Mike Tyson's going to be here, but we don't really have any reason for him to be here and, until Chris Jericho brings up this thing from Raw. So that's all. Just like, and I was going to mention the, the Cody truck thing here too. Like, again, they go back to these same spots in close chronological yeah. time to each other. And it's like, spread those out and give each one a little more room to breathe. No, I think you're, I, I think that's totally a valid point. And something that I think I've noticed sometimes is the show after a pay-per-view, it seems like that they, other for stuff that they have planned out much longer in advance, it does seem like it's like, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do this. And I mean, when, when Bentley and I, uh, when we were looking at this card Wednesday morning before they announced the full card, which I assume is because of uh, going through health protocol, there wasn't a whole lot out there that was out there to begin with. So it, it's one of those things that I think we've started to notice that, you know, when these like things happen, like when a big show happens, it does seem like things for like the first week or so need time to like crystallize and ramp up. And usually it's like the ideas here because yeah, the whole tag team situation thing, like they've tried to do buys before in the tag team division and it came off really dumb with the tag team championship tournament. Like where it was like you you win the match and you win the match to get the buy to just have one less match before you had two matches to do so. 
like it, it seems to like be like a weird quirk of theirs and it does seem like there's these things that and, it, and i feel like this happens on these like show after pay-per-views that the, it seems a little bit more loose and not as tight and as like tunnel visioned as things are in the lead up to the pay-per-view itself i think what they're trying to do is we want every match to have some sort of stakes right or some sort of purpose and that's great but it's also not possible if you want the stuff with real stakes to actually matter. Like sometimes you just have to have matches to have matches, just like the NBA plays 82 games a year, you know, and you know, 30 of them matter or whatever. So, yeah. Which that's also how you could use the ratings or the rankings rather of like, Oh, we got number two versus number three and whoever wins is going to be probably next in line or, you know, there's, that's what I always hope they were going to do with the rankings and the wins and losses is you can give stakes to things without having to make them seem bigger than they are. But since they've abandoned that, they've got to come up with these other ways. And, you know, you hear uh, Tony talk about, oh, I, I booked out this uh, month or two months of TV, you know, from the beginning. But then sometimes it feels like they're flying by the seat of their pants. So it's it's hard for me to understand what the, what the long-term planning is sometimes. Yeah, and it is just because we haven't really mentioned it. Give them half a pass because it's COVID and they're, you know, have had to change plans and stuff and do stuff with no crowd and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I do think the I do think the alley thing is gonna make sense in the end. But I, I agree so. but I agree with you that how hard would it be for JR to say, What's Allie doing in a red dress? I mean he could be he's horny anyway. <laughs> right. You know. That's a good looking dress, but that's not what she normally wears. Right. It's that's so easy to to lampshade as name. As someone say. yeah, thank you. As <laughs> someone pointed out on our Twitter also, um They've canonically mentioned that Allie is married to the Blade, right? That's been on a road to, I think. So, yeah, it was on one of the Zoom calls that they did, they brought them in on. Yeah. yeah. So, like, okay. Hey, QT, maybe watch the product and then you'll know <laughs> that this is another man's wife. He was I on mean, the Zoom call. Looked... <laughs> <laughs> he was. What the fuck? I mean, I know, yeah, she eats an apple. I know that's super arousing, dude, but. Uh, well, you know, for QT, especially. Yeah. All right. Mike, your delete. Oh, you know what this is going to be. You know what this is going to be. The one thing that pissed me off so much, and that is the fact that during this TNT title number one contendership tournament, they already started to tease the inevitable, eventual big league turn where MJF turn gets turned on by Wardlow. He gets put six feet under and Wardlow becomes the ace of the universe, the once in the century talent, Mr. High Energy himself. So it's just so infuriating, like the idea of that, especially stuff around MJF. It doesn't seem that they want to let things simmer. They don't like to like have the idea of, oh, let's see how where things are like next year with this. Because there's no reason why Wardlow should be teasing a break of MGF right now. It's it's incredibly short-sighted when you could get so much more mileage out of, okay, maybe if you're going to make this into a route you want to do by the end of the year, maybe what you have here is that MJF accidentally clocks him with the ring and that's it. You don't need like the two of them going no-to-nose afterwards. You don't need to have the awkward thing during their promo, the face-off there. And it's just one of those things that I don't know why it's why with MJF and Cody, that was something that felt like could have been 18 months to two years of a few that compress into four months. I don't know why MJF and Wardlow, who Wardlow's only been around since before full gear or before revolution, right? 
yeah, no, his first match was the Atlanta, but was the Atlanta cage match before revolution. So someone that's been the company for such a short period of time, there's no reason why you have to accelerate here. Unless like the plan is immediately that Warlow is going to become your champion. Cause he should be, he's already my canonical AEW dark champion, but it's just one of those things that it frustrates me sometimes. And it seems to be all around MJF that they feel like that they have to expedite these feuds when they could have let it breathe and let people and kind of enjoy it happen little by little month by month, maybe something happens at all out that could have started this thing off there. I'm glad that this is the road they're going down. It's so obvious that Wardlow has the top side to be able to be a major star, but it's one of those things that I don't think they, I think that they just like doing these things too quickly instead of letting things just simmer. Yeah. I mean, do we, now that we're a little bit away from the big MJF turn on Cody, I don't think that made any of them, either of them, bigger stars are more legitimate, right? Like it happened. They got a big reaction, but MJF is kind of back where he was, right? Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Cody basically no sells it. Yeah. Cody no sold it. Cody practically no sold it during the match. Um, yeah. And it just didn't, you know, if you'd drawn that out for a year plus, uh, like we wanted them to, uh, you have to imagine it has more ramifications going forward in the story. And yeah, you know, I'm teasing it is theoretically fine. Like it's great if they want to plant a seed for something they're going to do in a year. That's awesome. Cause then you can look back and be like, oh wow, this was really in the, in the makings for a very long time. But uh, of course we don't give wrestling companies that level of trust where we think, oh no, they're, they're, we're teasing it and we're going to wait to pull the trigger on it for 12 months. Like it's seems like it's developing at a much quicker pace than that. And totally with you that, I would much rather see it. You know, I would like to see like MJF is the, the AEW champion and Wardlow is the TNT champion before we get anywhere near that. Like, but it, it you know, they, like you said, Mike, they appears they want to expedite things unnecessarily. Maybe it's that they're planning to put MJF on top quicker than, than we think. And so everything has to happen with him. But yeah, but he, Wardlow is a great addition to him on top. Oh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I just, it's, it's a really good act and it's just madness to break it up for lack of better ideas. I just realized that uh, Cody is doing John Cena. Oh yeah. The, the open challenge. Yeah. 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 But, but also the no selling when things go bad, like he just shows up the next night on raw and is like, <laughs> we're never giving up, baby. We're back. You know, he just, <laughs> the uh, Wyatt family just destroyed him or whatever. And yeah, he, he doesn't care the next day that that Cody's doing the same thing. I, I mean, mm. that's the PK synergy right there. I mean, it you, is you, you steal. So you use executive vice pre president privilege to steal someone's debut. You act like nothing phases you. I mean, you cut a long promo about how you like Tom Brady. What the and fuck? <laughs> I, the fuck? I, I, I mean, I, I do have to say his fit that he had at the Memorial Day party was fantastic, though. So, like, the energy is still there. It's just go. It's not a focus day synergy. It's just going everywhere. He's just going. He he's going out there with birdshot instead of buckshot right now. <laughs> I guess he he was just eating shit for so long while Cena was on top. So you can't help but kind of take some of that into your brain or internalize some of that of like, oh, I guess this is how you're supposed to be on top. I don't know. Yeah, which isn't also is not totally wrong. Like there is elements of truth to that, but sure. Yeah. You would like to see uh, him pay respect to that stuff and be like, Oh, you know, MJF still somewhat important to my character or whatever. 
Yeah, there's like he has more of a long term story with Sean Spears than he does with MJF at this yeah. point. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot on this show that was like actively bad. I think you guys have talked about the two things that were the worst parts of the show. Honestly, I thought this was a really good episode. Uh, so the only other thing that I really didn't care for was the Kip Sabian, Jimmy Havoc versus SCU match, which wasn't awful. I don't really have, I mean, I guess I'm deleting this, but really I just would have made it like 10 minutes shorter or whatever. Um, I think we got two segments for this. It's the Kip Sabian rule. It's the Kip Sabian rule. I mean, I, you know, I am trying to be high on the weird British basement team, but so many people in this promotion that can't get on TV. And this, these guys just seem to get so much time. Yeah. Anybody who was in the discord last night can confirm that I was like, when Kip Sabian's name popped up, I was like, what the fuck? Why is he on TV again? Like he's on every show. And and we're now at the point where there's more people around. It's not like the, the weeks when there just weren't enough people and he had to work. It's like, come on. I mean, you could have put Fabu Andre and Tony Donati in this match. You could have, you could have. And if you, if you feel like Kip is a star and you just got to have him on TV, at least like just let him second Penelope, you know, like that act is so much better to me <laughs> than, uh, than this, but it's what we got. So uh, we'll of course run down the rest of the show in just a minute. Before that, we're going to talk about the ratings, which came out uh, earlier before we recorded at the same time they do every week. Not sure uh, why I felt that information was important, but I did. So AEW up huge. 827,000 people watching uh, the, the big go home or not go home angle, come home angle. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> the, the backlash, baby. <laughs> uh, up to fourth in the demo and and frankly, uh, tied for third in the demo. They probably were ranked fourth because they had lower overall viewers, but uh, tied for third in the demo, a 0.32 up from a 0.26. NXT also had a big boost, 592. 731,000 up to 24th in the demo and a 0.19. Yeah, this was uh, both of their biggest shows since the first few weeks of the COVID outbreak. I did see that the god Brandon Howard Thurston put out a clip of showing how the demos have moved and comparing it to Monday Night Raw, where both NXT and AEW's uh, Prime demo tied Monday Night Raw, which, you know, that's something. Uh, uh, the biggest gain was for the uh, men 18 to 49, a huge jump. They went from a, a 0.31 to a 0.4 flat. And, you know, this is something like this that we were kind of saying like, oh, wait, all these shows are ending off TV. And that coincided perfectly for the pay-per-view. And that also coincided with Memorial Day week. And now the only stuff that was really ahead of them was the Real Housewives and the challenge. I don't. I didn't know the challenge still existed until we started doing ratings, but it's been on it's been on air for like at least like ten weeks so far. It has to be finishing up soon. And then, as you said, yeah, they were tied for third. Uh, other, I guess, uh, notes: uh, double or nothing projections are not in as the time we're recording this. Should be sometime today. The one thing I'll stress that I know we've talked about before is there was a false report earlier that there was a number thrown around that was like a projection of. 98,000 to 113,000, but they were citing Dave Meltzer's projections from last year at double or nothing. There is no numeral projection yet. It does seem to be trending pretty high, but no one has given any indication of how high it is. I know like someone made like Mike Johnson made like, or someone said that Mike Johnson said this was our highest selling pay-per-view, which is something that 
I went back and looked and I couldn't find it necessarily. But, you know, big week for both programs, AEW. This is just like looking at everything for AEW. This was a big jump back. And it's actually better than some of the lead up to Revolution this week's ratings were. And I think they did a great, if they were anticipating a bump from the pay-per-view, I think they did a great job of starting the show with Young Bucks, Matt Hardy, the FTR debut, Brian Cage, John Moxley. Those are like all the acts that you mm-hmm. see to start this show. And and also selling, you know, that Mike Tyson's going to be on this show later. So I'll be interested in the in the quarter hours, uh, if Dave has those, to see if it if they kept it up through the show. And uh, I would imagine, who knows? Ratings are are very fickle, but I would imagine they put out their a lot of their biggest stars. I would imagine they'll be able to uh, keep a lot of this audience for next week. Yeah, I do. I, I thought it was a well-constructed show. And like you said, that all those things should be stuff that keeps the attention of maybe people that just heard the stadium stampede buzz or the Mike Tyson buzz. And they wanted to see what it was about. Um, yeah, I just, for whatever reason, little things just didn't seem to be executed their full potential, in my opinion. The show started off with the inner circle uh, sitting next to a box truck. They let us know that they bought a truck full of inner circle stadium stampede champion shirts. And uh, unfortunately, you know, now they don't know what to do with all these, with all these shirts. Ortiz so extremely funny here selling his hearing damage from the bell spot. Yes. That, these guys are so good. I mean, this whole, this whole act is excellent at this point, hitting on all cylinders. Matt Hardy. Backstage with the elite, uh, Kenny kind of looks—I don't know—weird at the beginning of this. And uh, Adam Page says he's going to go back to the hotel for a drink. He obviously looks as uncomfortable as he always does with the elite. <laughs> but uh, Kenny says he's also going to go, but he'll have a glass of milk. And they exit, and the Young Bucks say, uh, "I guess we have Damascus out there." And the Young Bucks say they were hoping for a different version of Matt Hardy. And so he comes back a couple times, uh, and then they finally settle on. Uh, the right era of Matt Hardy for the match they're going to have on this show. Okay. So I think Matt Hardy needs to do like a digest explaining all of his different versions. He tweeted that this was the Young Bucks and Surge. Yeah, from Omega. Like the drink. Yeah, which I presume was his Omega gimmick, like uh, when he and Jeff Hardy were, you know, doing back way, backyard shit. Oh, Um, they're wrestling the back way. The back way. Well, see, I said that because... No, I don't know why I said that. I thought I read the word way while I was looking at his wiki here. But he has all these fucking gimmicks, and we don't, we're not familiar with all of them. Of course, we know, uh, you know, version 1.0, we know Team Extreme, we know Broken Matt Hardy, um, Big there's Money the High Matt. Voltage, Big Money Matt, there's the uh, Blood, Run, Blood Runs Cold Matt era with the ice pick. But then we've got Surge, uh, we've got the Rawway Reaper. We've got Ishan Hardy, Ishan Hardy, Ingus Jinx. I want to what Ingus Jinx is. That's the one I'm uh, interested in. High voltage Matt Hardy. There's also one that just says Wolverine, which I assume was him like doing a Wolverine cosplay, uh, in which case he should team with Brian Cage as a team of uh, Wolverines. But we just need like a, you know, he does these gimmicks on BT where he explains wrestling terms to us. He needs to explain all these different eras because they're not all you know, as well known as most of them. Yeah. I mean, it's something from his mind palace that unless you are really dialed into Matt Hardy, you're not going to exceptionally know, but we have, we had one of our two appearances of hangman. So it's time to play the hangman meter. So last week we had Nate at a four. Of course, this is one to 10, one being the most blue eyed baby face possible. 
uh, 10 being the most dastardly heel possible. Nate had Hangman at a four. Aaron, you had him at a one. You thought he was big time babyface. I had him at a two. So our Hangman meter index was at two and a third. So with Hangman here, what do you think he uh, cashed in that? I'm going to call this, uh, I'll move him up to a, I'm just going to fuck with your fractions as much as possible. 3.5. Okay. On the Hangman meter. Um, you know, he was doing some wholesome bonding experience with Kenny in the hotel room. You know, Kenny had his milk. Hangman was drinking. Uh, he was a victim of the surveillance state. So that sort of makes him a baby face. Uh, but as a consequence of that wholesome bro time, he was not able to save the young bucks from the, uh, butcher and the blade attack. Okay. So, 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 you know, moves a little bit more baby face, but you know, he's not, he's not a totally pure boy yet. No, that's fair. Uh, AB, where you have him at? I'm actually going backwards. I'm gonna I'm gonna have him at a two. Well, he couldn't get much more babyface in your mind. So no, I, I couldn't stick there. I, it's mainly just because I'm annoyed. I'm tired of the of him and the Bucks and that whole thing. I'm just like I don't care anymore. Sure. Can't they do a thing where they either squash it and they're best friends again, or they just don't interact with each other? No, on like on a regular level. They cannot do that because we want things to simmer. We want there to be consistent relationships. But this is a boring simmering. No, it's like been the highlight of the promotion until this week. Well, I'm bored of it. I I Uh, mean, you want this beef history video over. I just just feel like it's been uh, simmering for so long that it's like not even... No, I I even hot. You need some patience from Aaron Bentley here. I have no patience on this. Now, they are doing something interesting, I think, here with, with Kenny seeming to maybe start to lean more toward Paige and away from the Bucks, perhaps. I'm not sure what the deal with that is. Uh, but I'm just I'm I'm out on uh, elite dissension. This is like catch point shit at this point. Okay, that's fair. I'm I'm saying it at two. I don't think he's really done anything that would that was more evil or more babyface. I still think that he was pretty solid. I mean, he was hanging with his bro, and then he wasn't there for all of his bros. He was not a pure babyface. So doing a bit of math real quick, because I know that that's what people listen here for, had about 2.8. So a little bit less facious this week, but that's it for the hangman meter. The boot, if the boot of beer has got more beer poured into it this week, I think we decided, because we had... The, the boot of beer. So yeah, very difficult without a graphic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we need to get to a web show version of this. <laughs> yes, we'll turn your whiteboard into a green screen, baby. Actually, you have a green screen. I think. I think yes. you pulled it out one week. I, I do have a green screen that I could be doing official hangman meter things. We'll never talk Nate into doing a web show. <laughs> never will. <laughs> uh, this led right into a six man match. The Young Bucks, Matt Hardy defeated. Joey Janela and Private Party. Matt Jackson, Matt Hardy pinned Isaiah Cassidy after a more bang for your buck. Uh, after the match, this is when the Butcher and Blade attacked the Bucks. They jumped out. Uh, the Butcher in like... They, they set that up because Nick Jackson got thrown into the Butcher and the Blade who were sitting at ringside, which, you know, they did a great job on attention to detail in this segment by setting up that attack by the Butcher and the Blade. They had a reason for Matt Hardy to go to the back because he had to go help uh, Mark Quinn to the back, even though Mark Quinn was not really injured. It was just a little angle to have an excuse there. So great continuity, attention to detail stuff here. Just a quick point of, point of interjection. It's a 2.5. I can't do division. Don't at me. 
<laughs> uh, you might have to go back and edit that in the first time. So you don't no, get, no, I'm not going to bother. Intervening 30 seconds. I'm not going to bother. <laughs> I get owned online all the time. I'm used to it. Um, now that I think about this, okay, I, I like the butcher and the blade attack. The butcher in fucking all white with his hair like uh, not wet, you know, because it's been dried up by the heat. I mean, it's very funny, like real... I think I, I saw someone say there was a lot of Coke energy in the final segment, but I feel like the butcher had real Coke energy uh, with his whole, his whole look here, but okay. FTR drives up in a truck as we, as we talked about recently to, um, to save the bucks kind of, but like why uh, they weren't watching backstage. They were in a truck. I mean, are they streaming this on the TNT app? No, they just happened to be driving to sign their contracts and they came directly oh. to the arena is my okay. presumption. All right. Uh, but, you know, they wanted to put the Bucks on notice, but, you know, there is an element of respect there or whatever. So they did that. Yeah, they can build this to like a, a it can be a face versus face thing. It can be they've already done this a little bit, but it can be more of a a vision thing. You know, like what is what is the vision for tag team wrestling? Hmm. If they want to build it that way or the, the revival can go can go full heel and just do like the indie type shit, you know, and flippies and they can do that thing. I think if we get crowds back that they'll be received as heels is my guess. But I don't really know because certainly their original appearance would have gotten a big, you know, giant pop just from excitement. Um, but I'm thinking they'll be regarded as sort of contrary to, you know, standing opposite the Bucks and the Elite. What do you think their theme stinger is going to be? Oh, I don't like these stingers. No stingers. No, I'm um, out on I'm out on stingers. Okay. I mean, we're not getting anything as bad as say yeah. No, that's bad. that's better than who can stop the path of cage. Who can stop the path of cage is not good. The MJF one also not good. Uh, yeah, I don't like them ever. You just if you can, you should be able to just write a song that has a stinger in it. The only good one ever is The Rock, of course. Even that, it's a little, I don't know. But his music wasn't really that good, so I felt like the stinger kind of made the theme. Right, that is that is a, <laughs> uh, a dimension to it for sure. It would have been a terrible song for anybody else probably, right. but The Rock was just so over and full of charisma that he made anything work. Didn't matter. Uh, Moxley came out on commentary for the next match, which was Brian Cage defeating Lee Johnson, big shoddy Lee, with the drill claw. Apparently, Lee Johnson cannot stop the path of Cage. Okay, here's a tangent. All right. Are, are you guys Jim Johnson should be in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame guys? Yeah. Don't really give a shit. Okay. I'm not. I, you know, wrote some better, wrote some good songs. Certainly some better songs than we've seen in AEW or other promotions. But really, no song is persuasive to me that he's you know better than replacement talent in that position like i i mean the way that my argument for hall of fames in general is can you tell the story of whatever you're covering without this person and i think that jim johnson for a lot of different ways was you can't tell the story of the attitude era without jim johnson really coming aboard and having mm -hmm. those themes especially in comparison to how the themes were primarily under like to Jimmy Hart. Under Jimmy Hart. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Thank you. I almost said Teddy Hart. That would have been bad. <laughs> but <laughs> under Jimmy Hart, I, I think that he definitely deserves it to an extent that I feel like that nearly every uh, theme composer since then apes his thing. Hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. Jimmy Hart had some good songs. I just feel like you probably could have taken any competent studio composer musician and gotten stuff that was at least almost as good as those Attitude Era themes. And, you know, it certainly wouldn't have made a difference to Stone Cold Steve Austin getting over. You better hope Andrew T. Rich is not listening to this episode. I mean, yeah. Hi, Andrew, if you're listening. Um, I don't know, dude. I I mean, I just... Steve Austin obviously would have gotten over anyway, but the glass breaking is fucking iconic. Yeah, but That's it's, it's sort of Steve, Steve Austin makes it iconic, right? Yeah, I guess, but there's something about having something where you immediately know who it is, and there's no question about it. And he was really yeah. good at that. The, I glass mean, break, the glass break is the uh, certainly the best case scenario for a stinger. The yeah. gong? Yeah, The Undertaker is also, that's really good music. I, I, I mean, the only reason why we're talking about singers is because this guy really made singers into such an important thing. And the, Yeah, now they're mostly bad. That's, like that's true. Largely is true. that his fault, though? It's not. It's not his fault. This is the this is the war games argument, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I mean, okay. this yeah. is the dusty argument. <laughs> right. it, a- because it eventually got bad doesn't mean it was always bad. So I mean, exactly. Entrance music was just like guys picking their favorite popular song and just I mean, yeah, dusty, out to it. Dusty, sound like versions. Yeah. 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 Dusty coming out to Purple Rain because he knew it was popular and he had a purple <laughs> robe. I mean. <laughs> right. So I don't. Jim Johnson did like. I think he changed the world of of entrance themes in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Hart did the fucking sexy boy, you know. So I mean, that's like mm-hmm. uh, one of the best themes of all time. No, that theme sucks. No, that theme rules. It's garbage. That's definitely one of the better ones. Yeah, that's no, a great one. Great I, I, one. I I will take you. Who can stop the path of cage over sexy boy? That's insane. That's well, insane. Funny, I, can't, I can't even hear the Path of Cage actual song in my head. No, I, all, but all a stinger is, is I like Taz just bored stinger. I like Taz just not being completely audio balanced, just shouting out who could pass, who could stop the Path of Cage. He, he didn't even he like try. <laughs> no, you don't. I tell. Let me tell you about stopping paths. Okay. Got, got ground moles. In my yard, folks. Oh, 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 right. We're, Round welcome, ball chat. Well, welcome <laughs> to the Normie cast. We're talking about lawn care. I'm here. Let's I would, go ground moles. I would like to stop the path of these ground moles. So I start to see a little thing, and I'm like, was there an earthquake in my yard? What yeah, happened? You're, you're getting like a disruption in a mound. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Not, not a lot of mounds, but a lot of tunnels and runways for these little ground moles, these little bastards. So then take my dogs on a walk. They're all over the neighborhood. They're I mean, everywhere. You got an infestation going on. I you mean, got an infestation. I, I mean, I can only talk Mark about. HOA. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we have to burn down all of them. We we yeah to do yeah. That. So I I I, ordered... I can tell you how to take care of this. Oh, buddy, I'm five steps ahead of you. Okay, let's go. I ordered some uh, some granules that I have to put down. <laughs> although you have to do it in three steps. Because I was oh, trying, yeah. to, trying to do this without killing the, the yeah, ground. Like, you've never done granules before, dude? Yeah, yeah. because yeah, you don't yeah. want to kill the granules. You don't want to hurt your dogs, and you don't want to kill your lawn. Yeah, you guys do it properly. Yeah, it's granules, fucked. one-on-one. Yeah. It's fucked up. Well, not only. So you got to do it over three days. So not right. only you start in the undamaged part of the lawn, and you start, but you put it in a way of how you want to push the ground moles Right, out. yeah. Okay, but then you're supposed to poke holes in the tunnels and, and drop every four to six feet. You drop a little... Uh, two to four tablespoons of granules inside the tunnels, which is like, this is really in depth. Now, on top of that, I, so I'm doing a little belt and suspenders action here. I also got these little sonic things. Oh, yeah, because you're going to try to disrupt them out because they're going to hate the noise. Yes, it'll sound out oh, a yeah. thing that'll, that'll irritate them. So 
Uh, gonna try both. Um, you know, sorry if for to the, all the ground mole lovers who are listening, but if those two don't work, I will be calling an exterminator. It'll be time. Well, you don't know if I mean the problem is if it was just isolated, I would right. say you can call animal control, and usually what they'll do because. I grew up with an armadillo infestation mm. and armadillo infestations, you know, like they're different kind of animals, but you kind of want to treat around the same way. I'm I like also, that he grew up with an armadillo. Like it's not that he just had one. Oh, oh no, it, it was continuous. Like his whole childhood was armadillo. <laughs> no, no, there was about a solid like three year period where armadillos kept on coming back because armadillos, the thing about armadillos are you really don't want to touch them because they have forms of leprosy that could be transmutable and, and they're leprosy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what you do is you get special <laughs> yeah, cages. You get granules for that. Well, you don't want to get granules because you're going to get too close to things. Those things are nasty as hell. You got to get special cages. And then what you have to do is they get into these cages and the door comes down. It's nonviolent that armadillo is not harmed with this. And the reason I know this is because my dad for, because I might have been like eight or nine. You're not going to send a nine-year-old out there to go try to stop an armadillo infestation, right? You, you, you're, this is an adult stuff. He tried to take a garbage can, like, like a 40-gallon drum and try to like trap it there. I'm like, Dad, don't you know that armadillos they can crawl? And then, and then, what are you? How are you going to like get this? Get the lid underneath it so you flip it over and you close down the armadillo. Because the problem with armadillos are you can't like just trap them and let them go. You have to confuse them first because they get home in. Because like the same, I, I have heard that the same <laughs> fucking armadillo. Like we, we there, there was a, a body of water near us called Bimbrook Lake, man-made because there's only one real lake in Texas. But we had it. We dropped it off there. Motherfucker came back. So you got to be careful <laughs> about these things. You have to trick the ground moles because they might have the same homing mechanism. Thank you all for listening to Normie Chat. We will rebuild society with people who have the PhDs in herbology because they have lawn wizardry and they understand if, more about this than anyone else does. If we should ban lawns, I agree. Oh, I absolutely ban them. But I the agree. people who understand, like, like the stump guy, I, I have trust for like these kind of people because they will understand when society falls. I'm not going to go like, I love you both. I'm not going to like go like, hey, Nate, we're going to rebuild society like this. I'm going to someone who has like a PhD in lawn care because those exist and those people will understand certain but things. No, this, so <laughs> you're talking about like designing a new government with the lawn care guys or where are we at? Here? I, I, what I, do you mean by rebuild society? Oh, oh no, I, I'm talking full <laughs> on. We're going to have to like, we're bombed out and we're going to have to like reestablish the ecosystem first because the government's going down line. Okay. So I, I thought a lot about that. concerned on the ecology side of things. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, we could talk about government then. And then, uh, then of course, at that time, I'll consult both of you and we, and we, we figure this out here. I mean, if we're going to be working but towards eco anarchy, how did you become the leader in this? <laughs> in I said this it was an eco apocalyptic. Uh, oh, because I, I don't be front of the long guy. <laughs> because uh, he's gonna be like a wizard connections. Yeah. yeah you kind of have a guy if none of this stuff works i'm going uh willie mcnab from arkansas um solution and i will be taking an ar-15 out into my lawn and killing the ground moles that's a lot of ground moles for that. <laughs> <laughs> how many wild hogs is it and you can tell the difference from people who've actually dealt with wild hogs and people who didn't deal with wild hogs people who did are like no, that makes sense. Like it sucks. What, what about people? Sense. What about people who watched Wild Hogs, the film? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the person who watched that's Vince McMahon. So <laughs> it's uh, it's. I think that's part of the Criterion Collection on HBO Max, which oh, yeah. is now available. Subscribe now, yeah, advertising uh, opportunities <laughs> available 
uh, Kevin Riley. That's right, right here. The new king of all media. Okay, so Taz Where came were we? <laughs> after this match. Taz kind of, you know, similar to a ground mole, I would say. He was and already out. He was he was managing That's him. true. That's true. He was already there. Uh, he tells Mox that he respects him because he paid his dues, became successful, became the top guy. But at Fighter Fest, you're going to be dealing with something different. You're going to be dealing with a machine. Come Fighter Fest, uh, Mox should bring his fight and his heart that he's known for because Brian Cage is going to tear his heart out of his chest. Uh, and then he has to hit his um, catchphrases. He says, Box, that's Brian Cage, the machine. Beat him if you can. Survive if he lets you. If they got to do a stinger at the top of the song, it should be that. Survive if he lets you. Yeah. Beat him if you can. There's no stinger. No stingers. I agree. Only, only one stinger in this promotion, and that's the insane icon. <laughs> nice. I liked it. Took me a second, but I liked it. <laughs> what, a, what a just genuine laugh. <laughs> That's a 10 of 10. 10 of 10. Well done. Yeah, I liked it. Next up, Britt Baker comes out in a wheelchair. She's went there with Tony Schiavone. She's pushed in the wheelchair by Reba, our good friend, her good friend. And she's got a sign. Her, her name is really Rebel, of course. Reba, right? The rules Rebel? of being a role model. Rule number three, don't hurt the role model. Uh, she says, last week, the brutal tandem assault on me wasn't an accident. It was a conspiracy. And she says, here's exhibit A. And she shows pictures from her being injured. She says, she's close personal friends with top TNT executives. Without her, there is no women's division. Flip it, Reba. And, uh, and Reba does indeed flip it. Her name uh, is Rebel. Reba flips it. And then they... Uh, she's basically saying that everyone involved was conspiring against her. She says, Chris Statlander, the alien thing is a crock of shit. Conspirator. Sheeta broke my nose. Fraudulent champion. Conspirator. And she says, Nyla, she's seen her come off the top rope with precision and grace hundreds of times. Conspirator. This leads to uh, Reba getting another board with red string pulled between the pictures. She says, here we have a web of evil, all centered on <laughs> Aubrey Edwards. Is it a coincidence she just happens to be around every time I get injured? Concussion, Aubrey was there. Broken leg, Aubrey was there. Broken nose, Aubrey was somewhere, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> she's put everyone on notice. They tried to take her out, but the joke's on her because she will be back at All Out. Tremendous segment. This, this is almost my pick for, this was the second best executed thing on the show. So it's almost my elite pick. Yeah, this was just well done all throughout. Uh, I like how they had the Law & Order singer playing a little bit, talking about good singers. That That's a sound effect we we all can enjoy. Yes. Uh, I also like the fact that Aubrey later like tweeted, I forget what the exact tweet was, but it was really sad, and it just seemed like, why are you going against Aubrey? Aubrey of all things like this. I thought that this was a great use of everyone involved in this segment. I think Rebel's great in this role kind of being building off of what happened with like the original rules of being a role model thing. And Tony as always was solid. And I like that they made sure that we had the red string. You had to have the red yarn to connect the dots. And I appreciate that this happened. This was a, this was a knockout across the board. Hey man, I think my criticism of Brit for a long time was fair. And I also think she has worked her ass off to become one of the best promos in the whole fucking company. And my hat is off to her. She's just, she's doing really great work right now on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I, you know, you have to believe in her at this point, don't you? That that she'll get better in the ring. I mean, she clearly has spent a lot of time with. Um, she's talking about this with Chris Jericho, talking about working on her 
Connor character. Uh, she wasn't really comfortable with with going heel, but she's done it and she's done a great job. So kudos to Britt. I mean, I always said that she had the potential to be, you know, uh, uh, capable and uh, hold her own in the ring. Uh, I believe you guys were the ones going down her whole uh, match history and time in the business and match counts and all this and saying she was a lost cause. So still really, uh, I guess I guess you should ask yourself that question if you should uh, believe in her. I try not to really interrogate myself too much or or mm. think about my own thoughts. Really. Yeah, I mean that just leads into bad self. I mean, you you yeah. had me five minutes talking about armadillos and how if I was going to rebuild society, I was going to yeah, talk. You, to you do not need to interrogate that part. That part is on point, Mike. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I mean I think that she does. And she's done pretty much through the entire last two months has been the most genuinely entertaining person on the show up until the pay-per-view. I thought she had the best match on TV with between her and Hikaru Shida. Like, I feel like that she's coming to her own. And I mean, if, if it's becomes more consistent thing match wise, I will take that out when that happens. I just think that she's, she's crossed like the necessary thing that she's entertaining now enough that I can sit through a not necessarily great match because I think that she's an amusing enough character if the other part comes along, then yeah, I'll admit that I was wrong about that. I probably won't. Just just being honest with everybody. Inner Circle is with Alex Marvez. Jericho says the Inner Circle pep rally is going to be one of the great events in AEW history uh, as they're getting back on track. Orange Cassidy walks through the background and then off screen. This uh, irritates Jericho. He says, see you later, Orange. This is some Hulk Hogan shit from Jericho where he's like, put me in the segment with the highest rated guy on the show. And then th this is, you know, the long build to Orange versus Chris. Yeah, it rules. We're, there has to be, please, some Orange Cassidy, Mike Tyson interactions at some point. I wonder, so we know Mike Tyson really thinks Michael Nakazawa is funny. Do we think he really likes Orange Cassidy? He probably does, right? Oh, yeah, he probably does. He, he, he I, I mean, how can't you? I mean, Orange Cassidy, they're going to find ways to get Orange Cassidy into like the biggest segments of the show at a certain point. I mean, he almost won the battle Royal, which would have had him versus Cody. That match is going to happen. Eventually there has to be some sort of Jericho orange Cassidy thing. Like, like they're going to, they're going to juice the orange for all he's worth. Hey, got him. Uh, I mean, Mike Tyson clearly has a, an eye for comedic talent. He uh, jumped on the Todd Phillips train <laughs> very early. So, I mean, he obviously is a big orange Cassidy fan. Next up in our one women's match on the show, Hikaru Shida defeated Christy James, who was previously seen uh, at ringside. was wondering why she was there. Now we know. I guess they're going to bring her in a little bit. Uh, Shida won again with the Falcon Arrow. Solid match. You yeah, know? I liked it. I liked it. Uh, you know, I'm glad that they're, that with like now Shida, they've now have her knee and now the Falcon Arrow and Excalibur can now have someone hit the Falcon Arrow and he doesn't get disappointed when someone kicks out of the deal. Christy Jane's even kicked out of a, of a knee to the back of the head. At least I'm not sure if that was really her finish kicking out of her finish, but uh, they, they gave her a lot here. So I don't know if she's going to stick around, but uh, potentially a good addition based on this match, at least Cody came out with Arn. Tony Schiavone's there in the ring to interview him. Cody asked Tony, do you know why Tom Brady is my favorite quarterback? which is just a wild way to start off a, a babyface promo. I guess at least there was no crowd to to react to it. Uh, but he mentions that Brady wasn't picked first, but he ended up obviously being an all-time great. I just feel like there's other people you could have could have chosen here. And especially if you're in Jacksonville, you know. Sure. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you're in Tampa, 
do that promo. Like that makes sense. But yeah. in Jacksonville, you have, to, you have to talk about Minshew. He says uh, in his mind, uh, he thinks when Tony Khan thinks about building a wrestling company, he's thinking about a merit-based in-ring company. And he, he mentions that he was not, Cody was not the first, second or third call that Tony made. He says he was fourth and appears, I think he was doing the four horsemen thing here. I think that was the, the bit. He did put up four fingers. He did. He did. He said he's not bitter, but he is proud that despite being the fourth person called, he is the first champion of the world's greatest television network, uh, which is like, you know, they sometimes don't want to talk about the EVP stuff, but sometimes he does mention it. Well, it's like it's very annoying. Yeah, because it's like, uh, Cody, buddy, we all know that you weren't just like the best wrestler, and that's why you won this tournament. Just like a, a weird way to go. I don't know. You, they they try to, especially Cody tries to do like uh, shooty stuff a lot. And then to try to do this like straight work promo, I think is... is uh, it just it begs unnecessary questions. It, just, it does. You know, yeah, I'm, an, you know, I'm an armadillo here. I'm, I'm homed in. He needs to confuse me a little first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got to spin you around the circle a little bit at least. And then drive a little erratically before dropping off the lake. The uh, on the subject of these four fingers, because it just happened, uh, Russell Zone tweeted a picture of the four fingers and said, "If this was about a stable, who would you put in the AEW Horsemen group?" Which Cody quote tweeted with a mouthless smiley, and then Dax FTR replied and said, "Hey, okay, so the FTR guys could be the the Arn and Tully." That would make sense if you're if you're Along in that with uh, with Cody as the flair and Arn as the manager. Yeah, Arn in the in the JJ Dillon role. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you need like the hot shot young guy, you know, the guy on the rise. You know, you have your your Sting, your Luger, your uh, I don't know if Barry Windham really works, but we'll go with Barry Windham anyway. Well, are we making the supposition? Yeah, are we making the supposition that this is going to be a heel for Horseman? Because like the baby face. Yeah. You should have if it's the face four horseman would be Jungle Boy. You know you have Jungle Jack Perry there, but if you're but this is a heel one, you're going to be breaking a lot of continuity because I feel like it would have to be MJF for heels. No, because he's going to be he, he wouldn't be the young guy to come along. He should be above that level. Okay, so he could, he could steal Sammy. Sammy, yeah, could steal Sammy. Um, could steal ten. Don't mm. like that. Would rather have the consistent grudge. Okay. No, no, I'm talking also, about. He, can't, he also can't be no, the young guy. No. To... Preston Vance. Oh, 10. <laughs> yes, 10 Preston Sean Vance. Spears. No, 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 no. Sean Spears. Too many, too many tens in this company. Yeah, no. Sean Spears has not been seen since the double or nothing. And hopefully he has uh, become less Alan Angels. Alan I mean, Angels. I mean, not a not an awful choice, really. I there's mean, of, there's some guys from from those. Your, your big shotties, your, uh, your Musas. Your Mrs. Your Mr. Grimm's. Oh, Mr. Grimm. I'm sorry. Well, he's, quite a side. He's, yeah, he's with Tyson. He's got his unit already. And yeah, Musa did too. Musa did too. Musa was one of the people oh, who brought okay. the the bubbly too. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, well, we're forgetting one person that should be Fabu Andre. That's true. It could be Fabu. I mean, he's a he's a natural baby face. Though. Yeah. Um, I think it. We're destined. Cody will do a four horseman. Yeah, stable at some point. Lock. It's a lock. Yes. I don't know if he's going to do it already. That'd be something for him to do, I guess. But it's happening. Yeah, and it does. You know, we're going to speak here about his promo. You know, maybe these are all seeds of a heel turn. 
and you know exploiting that executive vice president privilege and uh, putting over Tom Brady. Maybe, although I, I think it's pretty impressive, which I'll get to in just a second. But he says, my story isn't one of nepotism or favoritism. I love that he does like the the George Bush politician thing of like always attack the opponent with their greatest strength. So, or I guess you, a better one is that he does the uh, Eminem eight mile thing where he's like, all the things you're thinking about me, I'm just going to say them. But it's the opposite, right? Because he pretends that they're not true. <laughs> even though they're true. So he says his story isn't one of those because uh, he got called up when he wasn't ready. And, you know, all the fans at home watched him grow up. He says his mother, he kind of like uh, buries uh, Dusty here. and says it was actually his mother who taught him about grit. Uh, that's not about talent. He's going to outwork you. If you're someone who's critical of him bell to bell, you should judge him by what he's going to do next, which is going to be a weekly open challenge where he'll be defending the TNT title. He says, we're still in the pandemic era, no fans, but I'm talking directly to you. He looks down the barrel of the camera, says, you blew away pay-per-view projections. We need you, so follow me. That was another gripe I was going to make on continuity. He mm -hmm. comes out and does an open challenge when we already have the Battle Royal set for his first challenger, and then they kind of half-fixed it, said, oh, well, you know, it's for his first challenger is going to be determined by this, but then he's doing an open challenge. It's just like... You're, you're making it a one step too complicated. You can just wait on one of these and then not have the problem. Yeah. I, I mean, this was a promo that was, I would have been real interested to hear how this promo would have come across in front of a crowd. Cause it definitely had a lot of levels kind of like how his big, uh, go home saying that he would not that about Jericho and, attacking millennials and it kind of went up and down. He talked about not challenging for the world title. Like you, this did feel like one of his ones where he went for levels with it. Talking about his mom, talking about uh, like being like his mom, like background and like that, which is always something that I find real interesting when he decides to focus on his mom and bring, brings her up because it's one of those things that Dusty being so omnipresent with everything with Cody. I like the fact that he's more willing to go with this thing. And it's something that I think that, he does like we see, like he's been put in such a lane for so long that we don't get like the full three dimensions with a lot a lot of him. So I'm glad we had that. But yeah, the the whole continuity thing about well, next week I'll have my first opponent. After that opponent, as I defend them, I'll be back next week and then next week, and I'll stay in the ring and when tell someone to come out and face me. If he would have had that as the line instead, no problem with this promo whatsoever, other than bringing up Tom Brady. Yeah, but it's pretty impressive to start it with Tom Brady and end it as like a very pure babyface promo, a one on the hangman scale by the end of this promo. So he's a he's a talented guy on the mic. We'll see how this goes. They seem to be teasing that it's going to be people, at least some weeks that we haven't seen before. I don't know if it's going to be like a Jeff Cobb thing where they'll bring in people maybe on a on a one week thing, or if we'll see some new people that they've signed. But I, I they are bad at managing expectations. But I think they're telling us that new people will be coming in for these matches. And I think that's a great way to spike interest for like, Oh, here's Zack Ryder out of the blue. You can have Cody beat him. It doesn't hurt anybody. Cause Zack Ryder, you know, presumably won't be around. Uh, and you know, just give Cody a little bit of extra credibility and a good pop. Now that's a good stinger and a theme. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc defeated SCU, which I talked about earlier. Kip pinned Scorpion after the see you later. 
Uh, somehow, as, as Nate mentioned earlier, this was a number one contenders match. MJF video with Wardlow. He says he's clearly the breakout star in this promotion. MJF says this, of course, not Wardlow. He didn't have to come from another place to get that distinction. Good little. That's like a, a good thing MJF should uh, should talk about. He says also he's been undefeated for over a year, and yet he still hasn't gotten a title shot. He says he's starting to think someone in the AEW office doesn't like him. So when he heard that certain someone was having a battle royal for his first challenger, he wanted to give him some good competition, and Wardlow would also be there as his insurance. Word Dog knows what to do when we're in the final two, except Wardlow seems a little skeptical of that. Now, this is why the lack of continuity sucks shit, because all MJF has to do is show up. He doesn't have to win a fucking battle royal. Yeah. So, yeah, that's irritating. I actually wasn't irritated about this in real time, but now that you mentioned it, Nate, this sucks ass. This is very bad. <laughs> Damn it. Just, just, you know, keep your ducks in order. Yes. Then they had the battle royal for the TNT title. Number one contender. Uh, some, A few things that happened here. Orange Cassidy was the last entrant. Santana and Ortiz laid him out on the ramp. Uh, Colt Cabana, after he was eliminated, took a Dark Order flyer. We'll see if that goes anywhere. Uh, and then MJF accidentally hit Wardlow with the diamond ring. That led to MJF and Wardlow being eliminated. And Jungle Boy ultimately eliminated Orange Cassidy to win. So next week we'll have Cody versus Jungle Boy. I mean, I like Jungle Boy as the first challenger. I think that's a smart way to go. I mean, other than like the MJF stuff and Wardlow stuff, I thought that this was a pretty effective battle royal. I thought Colt being involved with Dark Order things gives him something to do. It's important for the people who aren't necessarily on TV each week to have stuff to do. And, you know, for a battle royal match, it was a decent battle royal. We had Billy Gunn in there. It was funny. Billy Gunn coming out there. Yeah, I'm not. It's pretty tough to do a good battle royal, I think. I don't think this was one. Um, you know, a lot of you, you, it, it, putting all of the goofier AEW gimmicks in the same place makes them all look that much goofier, right? Like when you see Luchasaurus in a trios match, you know, against, uh, the butcher and the blade and whoever, or whatever, it's like, okay, you know, this is this guy's gimmick. He's big guy. He's got a dinosaur mask. That's fine. But when you have a ring, that's like, here's Luchasaurus and Dr. Luther, it just, you know, it, it feels a little bit less major league. I'm also just tired. I think I've said this before. I'm just tired of battle Royals for number one contenders. It's like, uh, just hate yeah, well, conceive. in this context, especially he's doing open challenges. So it's unnecessary. Yeah, I do. I think normie people do like battle Royals. So if you're trying to, again, catch interest from the Tyson thing and coming off the pay-per-view, I think a battle Royal is something that people are like, Oh, those are fun. So I, I get it from that perspective. And we had a video recapping the stadium stampede, and that led into the inner circle pep rally. We got cheerleaders, some Jaguars cheerleaders out there in inner circle costumes. We got a drum line in inner circle shirts. And then Vicky Guerrero comes out in a similar outfit to the inner circle cheerleaders and does the uh, introductions of all the inner circle members without a microphone in classic Vicky fashion. Uh, we get in the ring. Jericho says, like sexy, like five sexy phoenixes, we will rise again. Is phoenixes the the plural of phoenix? Phoenixes? I was going to say phoenixes. <laughs> yeah, phoenixes. Uh, We're just phoenix. Actually, I should know this. My my undergrad mascot was the phoenix. It was just phoenix. Just no phoenixes. Just phoenix. Mm, it's like deer. Right, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> he says they're nice guys. So this isn't only for them. It's for all of us as well. That's why they got official stadium stampede merchandise. They throw the championship t-shirts into the crowd. Uh, Sammy says, guys, calm down. We didn't win, but we participated, baby. So he's got participation trophies for everyone. Uh, Santana has a New Yorican gift basket, which uh, my favorite part was probably giving Hager discount Timberlands. Uh, but he also gave Jericho a picture of Mark Antony, which was funny. Uh, Jericho got Sammy a scooter called the Hit Me Up Mobile. And maybe the highlight of this segment before Mike Tyson came out, Jake Hager had a poem. And <laughs> JR, with the, his best performance in the promotion to date, JR goes, Oh God. In <laughs> Who wrote the, the Jake Hager poem? Uh Chris Jericho. I'm Jericho. Yeah. No, no, no. Dark no. Horse is Tony. I think Tony Khan. Candidate is Tony Khan. Yeah, Tony Khan. I was gonna say Tony Schiavone, maybe. <laughs> Don't know if Tony's a, a poet or not. Uh, it was called Happiness, was the name of the poem. <laughs> Just so everybody knows. And it ended with a taken line, with a line from Taken, which was fantastic. That was, yeah, that was you know, not the most current reference, but still, he delivered it pretty amusingly. I mean, it, it, it's not the most current reference, but, you know, it felt in character for him that he would, he seems like a guy who would really would like the movie Take, and he probably likes Liam ne Neeson action movies. Yeah, I'm leaving that alone. Uh, his similarities to Liam Neeson. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sammy asks Chris Jericho what he wants. What do you truly want? Jericho says what he really wants is Mike Tyson's head on a platter because he hasn't forgotten about uh, the you know the angle with Hornswoggle where Mike Tyson hit him. He says, ever since then, he's been dreaming of getting his hands on Mike Tyson's fat head. And Sammy says he couldn't get Tyson's head on a platter, but he got him a cheese platter and a little bit of the bubbly, but the cheese platter has been picked over. The bubbly is empty. And then out comes Mike Tyson with his entourage. They've got the bubbly. Mr. Grimm is there. Musa is apparently there. Uh, Gooch is there. Everybody's there, all the stars. Um, Mike Tyson tells Chris Jericho that he's a sucker. He deserved it, what he got on uh, Monday Night Raw. Jericho gives him a chance to apologize. Uh, Tyson instead rips off his shirt and flexes in Jericho's face and will not stop. <laughs> and uh, they just kind of push each other, and then the ring fills up, and everybody goes after each other. You know, classic ending angle. I think we've all given all of our thoughts on this angle, so no need to retread those, but a good show, I thought. Uh, if you are taken, speaking of taken, if you're taken with our ground mold discussion, our talks about the four horsemen, anything, really, head on over, patreon.com slash everything elite. Sign up to hear me and Mike and Nate uh, do bonus shows that you can check out. Uh, this past Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, we did the Double or Nothing Instant Reaction Every week, Mike and I preview Dynamite on a show called AW Light, and then Nate hits you with the vlog recaps, all the big vlogs from the week. He, Some uh, of the big vlogs. <laughs> it was a big vlog week, to be fair. It was. So that's why I'm thinking it's all the big vlogs. Uh, generally, we drop a big show on Monday, and then we do Light on Wednesday. Uh, we also have a Discord for our patrons. So if you connect your Patreon to Discord, you'll come right into our Discord. Uh, Mike and I do live voice chats during dark and during dynamite. And we just generally bullshit in there at other times uh, this month on the Patreon, we're going to have a new, this is installment with a very special guest that I'm not going to burn yet in case, you know, it doesn't happen. So don't want to uh, tease something I can't deliver, 
Uh, Mike and I will continue the Pod Beyond series looking at old War Games matches. We're going to do a Fighter Fest retrospective and much more this month. I feel very confident. Oh, uh, uh, Lost on the Mountain episode two will also come out next month. So also dropping that for you. So head on over to patreon.com slash everything elite. Uh, we got three tiers. $5 gets you all the audio content that we produce. All right. Next week, here's what we know so far for Dynamite. We will have Cody and Jungle Boy for the TNT Championship. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page will defend the Tag Team Championship against Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc. And Chris Jericho will be in action. He's going against Colt Cabana. Oh, that's right. That was announced earlier yeah. since I made these notes. New news. Yeah, no, that, that seems like it's going to be a, a fun thing. I mean, two title matches. So that's pretty, it's pretty heavy. But it'll be interesting to see what the next step in a lot of people's uh, post-double or nothing uh, world goes. We also found out that Fighter Fest will be happening, quote, sometime this summer. So they're, they're not giving us a date on that yet. Uh, we don't know if it's going to happen at Daly's Place or or somewhere else, if they'll wait until there can be crowds. But we're going to have John Moxley versus Brian Cage for the AEW World Championship. And the current tag team champions at that time will take on the best friends. Yeah, and this is what Tony said was supposed to take place in UK. This was supposed to be the first big UK show this year. Uh, did not seem like if they knew... If or if they say it, if it was going to be uh, like last year, where it's going to be on BR Live or not. So who knows? So yeah, interesting that, that they're going back to this when they've abandoned these like little mini shows after they started TV. Well, and there is, uh, you know, a lot of conspicuous HBO Max promotion on this most recent episode. So that could be another avenue. Yeah, yeah. Sh- should we talk a little bit? We've gone a little long here, but do, should we touch on HBO Max before we go? Hit That's it, all Mike. I was going to say. Okay. Um, HBO Max, which is something that I believe like we've pretty much been talking from the start of their thing, has been announced. Uh, looks like something that they're doing a lot of synergy with it. And I know HBO Max has talked about having live events in the future. So it'll be an interesting thing for it to keep an eye out in the future, at least in my opinion. I agree. I'm interested to see how it goes. The one other thing I wanted to mention briefly, Caleb Conley, the premier athlete brand. So this is member of the scene. This is an interesting thing. So th- we talked about this right on the show about the the letters that the lawyers wrote back and forth. I don't know that we did. Okay, I don't know. So let's pretend we didn't, and I'll just say it briefly. Basically, <laughs> Caleb Conley and Zane Riley, is that right, Mike? Have been calling themselves the Revolt for some period of time. So the revival come out, and they start kind of suggesting they're going to be called the Revolt. Caleb Conley, Zane Riley. Hire a lawyer, fire off a letter, cease and desist. Uh, you know, we've already established this mark. And the Revival hired a lawyer who wrote back to say, we're not planning on being called the Revolt, so uh, shut the fuck up. Don't care. Then, amidst all that, Caleb Conley was advertised for AW Dark in a, in a tag match. A lot of, you know, uh, suggestion that maybe this had something to do with that whole situation. A little, a little settlement, perhaps considering that we all thought the revival were coming in, which they did. Uh, but it was advertised all day on Wednesday. And then it just didn't happen on the show. It just seemed to be cut. And Caleb Conley even expressed surprise on Twitter that the match was cut from dark. So, I mean, I don't have any uh, analysis or, or news on this. I just think it's interesting. 
Hmm. <laughs> thought Nate had a take he was about to fire off, and it just didn't come. No, no take. How, those, the, those are the facts. Just lay out the facts. Okay. So I guess the, the take chopper is... Uh... Winding down. Been a long week. <laughs> it has. It Getting has. Toward that, that TGIF feeling. That's right, baby. When you're hearing this, it probably is Shit, F. yeah. <laughs> F and yeah. <laughs> wow. Clearly, it's time for us to... Uh, to uh, wrap this thing up so make everybody sure everybody go stream the new uh, lady gaga blackpink single out today or yesterday for listening to this on friday that's right yeah do that uh follow us on twitter at everything aw i'm at aaron like the car nate is that a mike is that fuji hey ya subscribe to the show give us a rating give us a review and please check out patreon.com slash everything elite i think that's it for this week for mike for nate i'm aaron we'll see you next time I- 